Broadcasting live from Business Radio X Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Learning Insight. Featuring learning professionals, improving performance to drive business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights, brought to you by our good friends at Training Pros, Stone Peyton Lee Cantor, here with you this afternoon. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic segment. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast Senior Vice President and Chief Learning Officer with Northwell Health, Dr. Kathleen Gallo. How are you? Fine. How are you? We are doing great here in Atlanta. Uh, Dr. Gallo, before we get too far into things, can you share a little bit about Northwell? How are you serving folks? Sure. So Northwell Health is the largest health system in uh, New York State. Facilities, um, both hospitals and ambulatory sites, all through Long Island, which is Nassau and Suffolk County, uh, New York City, Queens, Westchester County. And we have affiliations uh, up in Connecticut as well as international affiliations. We have over 65,000 employees, well over 15,000 nurses. We have approximately 100 uh, residency programs. We have a school of medicine, a school of graduate nursing, and physician assistant studies. So it's a, a quite a large entity, $12 billion annually, and um, we are continuing to grow. Now, your background, have you always been in learning and development? No, not at all. I grew up as an emergency and trauma nurse, and... You know, from staff nurse and then rose through the ranks to uh, vice president of emergency services. And um, when Michael Dallin was becoming CEO of uh, Northwell Health, he actually wrote a white paper on a leadership institute. And, um, you know, he asked if I would be part of his senior leadership team and develop, you know, a, a leadership institute. And, of course, uh, None of us knew what that would look like, but um, over time, we developed what is known as the Center for Learning and Innovation. So now uh, now that you've been in learning and started out with um, kind of that boots-on-the-ground experience, do you, how has that informed the Learning uh, Institute over there? Well, certainly with respect to change management, and I would say that's our major job over here, covert, you know, covert activity is culture change. Um, change management is critical, and having some street credibility uh, coming from the clinical arena is very helpful. Now, do you see the, um, just the healthcare in, in general is, it seems to be in perpetual change uh, lately. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. How how do you see this as a industry trend? Are you seeing that more people are developing learning from the perspective that you have, from that kind of been there, done that? Uh, you can trust me on this, that uh, we're all looking out for the, the good of, of the organization, or in some organizations, it, it's not working that way? Well, I don't know. You know, I would say 15 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago, it was not a strategic focus on learning in healthcare organizations. And the quote-unquote training, we actually don't even uh, use the word training at CLI. We, you know, it's uh, more of a strategic organizational uh, development and learning uh, what we do. And also, years ago, training was very siloed. So you had 
some type of training going on in HR for some segment of the employee population. You had uh, medicine doing their training with physicians somewhere, and then you had nursing doing their training with nurses somewhere, and um, it was never aligned with the business imperative uh, imperatives or the business strategy of the organization. And um, Mike Dowling, to his credit, almost 20 years ago, just blew that whole fragmented model up. And he actually brought into healthcare the role of the chief learning officer. And then that was under the kind of the uh, uh, umbrella of leadership learning. And that was, it sounds like it was going across all those different silos. Like it wasn't limited or exclusive to any one of those groups that you d- described. Right. right. So we began with our um, leadership development in the early days, focusing on middle managers. Um, and, um, you know, looking out um, at the um, changing environment, you know, what competencies don't we need anymore? What new competencies do we need to align with the business strategy? I also put in a structure um, whereby the faculty would be uh, leaders in the organization, and they would go through, you know, faculty development so that we would be able to engage the managers uh, in the early days in the curriculum. And um, over time, uh, we actually went to a case-based model for our leadership development programs. Um, our CEO teaches organizational behavior. He's the faculty for organizational behavior and leadership, or chief financial officer and his team do healthcare finance, um, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, there was um, faculty from the uh, Center for Learning and Innovation um, just to make sure things are fairly academically sound. So. But there's a big plus in putting the senior executives uh, in front of the um, frontline managers for these learning experiences. You get more benefit than just the content. Now, do you think Uh, that this emphasis on learning and innovation uh, impacted the overall culture of your organization? Yeah, I mean, I can look back now, and um, this is, you know... Um, information that comes from the troops and comes from the senior executives that this Center for Learning and Innovation is the cultural hub. Uh, even when we, uh, we Northwell, are um, acquiring a new organization or beginning to develop a relationship with an organization that we want to affiliate with, um, CLI is always part of the uh, package in terms of the benefits and the resources that they will have access to. Um, and also, you know, as we um, do, you know, bring in further acquisitions that you want to enculturate um, those organizations into the Northwell culture. And it's, um, it's a place that, that is uh, done. It's not a, a one-time visit. Uh, nobody comes here once. Everybody is in programs, and um, whether it's our administrative programs or our clinical programs. So while we started with administrative programs and leadership development programs, both for administrators, for our physicians, we have a physician leadership institute, 
as well as our non-physician clinicians, meaning the nurses, pharmacists, et cetera. We have our high potential programs on our physician executive programs. In addition to that, in 2005, we addressed the Institute of Medicine report that came out somewhere around 2000 to every human, and it talked about safety, records and care, and how it could be uh, improved dramatically. And um, our answer to that was we built our um, Patient Safety Institute within uh, Center for Learning and Innovation, a uh, interprofessional clinical simulation center for clinical teams to focus on issues of safety, et cetera. Now, this culture of patient safety is really, um, it's, it's kind of a big deal, right? Like you guys, what you're doing is kind of really important and it's spreading across not just your organization, but it's being recognized elsewhere? Yeah, it's what we do. It's more than a big deal. Uh, it's what we do. It's, uh, you know, it's similar to aviation, you know. Um, when you're getting on a plane, you know, your expectation is you're going to get off it. Um, come in to receive healthcare services, your expectation um, is that you'll be leaving in good shape, better shape than when you showed up. So safety is at the center of everything we do. Um, and it is integrated in all the uh, curriculum and programs, be it a leadership development uh, program or if you're, you know, in the hot seat in the simulation center. So, um, you know, safety is the business of healthcare. Can you talk about the simulation center? How does that work? Yeah, so um, we have a number of different learning methodologies in our simulation center. Uh, we have high-fidelity simulation uh, simulators. They do everything but get up and get out of the stretcher. That's, you know, one uh, method. Uh, we have standardized patients, which are human beings, that are trained up to patient cases. And then we have a fresh frozen cadaver lab, and um, there are procedural skills that are practiced down there. Uh, with simulation, uh, we always say uh, simulation is just a good excuse to sit and have a debriefing. So our simulations can run anywhere between 8 and 10 minutes, and then the debriefing can go on anywhere from 30, 45, 60 minutes. Everything is video and audio recorded so that the clinical teams can sit down. It's facilitated by uh, the Patient Safety Institute uh, faculty. To, similar to the NFL, uh, go to the video. Um, let's see what we did well together as a team, what we can improve on. There's great dialogue and discussion. Um, something, you know, that just can't happen when you're at work in a hospital because uh, you're too busy taking care of patients. But certainly to be able to sit back and reflect as a team on uh, performance uh, is critical. Now, uh, is the data that you're getting from going through the simulation, can you refer back to it, like, as, um, you know, kind of follow-up later on? Yeah, so, yeah, so the process that we put in place uh, for clinical teams to come into what we call PSI, our Patient Safety Institute, is one of, it's a collaboration between us and the clinical team. So, for example... If a clinical leader calls to say that he or she would like their team to come in, the first thing we do is sit with clinical leaders, 
um, to explain what the capabilities of the uh, PSI is and what the responsibility is of the uh, clinical department as well as our responsibility. And the uh, first thing is that the um, clinical department needs to um, select who they will offer up as the educator for their department. And then we do faculty development. That person needs to go through our simulation workshop. And it's more around how can you critically debrief teams. So the debriefing is the most important part of simulation. Then that person and our uh, staff develop the program. Every, uh, every team's program is different. Emergency medicine's curriculum is different than cardiac surgery, which is different than pediatrics, different than perinatal, et cetera, et cetera. Now, how do you determine, and, how do you determine which um, areas or challenges need uh, simulator created for? So uh, within each discipline or clinical department, Initially, the clinical teams will come with their initial uh, heartburn issue that they'd like to work on. And so we develop the program with them around that. And then over time, a program uh, eventually emerges that goes out a whole year. No one comes to our uh, either CLI or our Patient Safety Institute once. You can't fix things. Um, people can't improve by just showing up once. So uh, everybody has their regularly scheduled times. We have over 115 clinical teams regularly scheduled um, at our Patient Safety Institute. Some come every week, some come every other week, some come once a month, et cetera. But having everybody has skin in the game, you know, gives you a better chance of what they've learned over time at PSI to be brought back to the hospital. And the big focus in PSI is how can you develop high-performing teams when they're in their clinical scenarios uh, at work. Um, the Institute of Medicine to Erizuma, human, when that came out in 2000, it talked about healthcare having 100,000 preventable deaths, meaning 100,000 people died from errors. And we know that that was a very low number when that came out. And um, anywhere between 75 and 80% of those preventable deaths are caused from lack of teamwork and communication. And the lack of teamwork and communication goes back to how clinicians are educated. Everybody's educated in a silo. Medicine is educated in a medical school, nursing is a nursing school, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, when you go to work, you're all around the patient and you've never learned how to work together no different than aviation and what goes on in the hospital. So uh, we address that and focus on that in our patient safety initiative. Have you seen the results that are demonstrating that this type of uh, methodology is the most effective way of doing this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have results in terms of our, um, our data around sepsis, um, decreasing mortality, uh, from sepsis, we um, had data around, um, you know, for example, we um, had one of our community hospitals um, out in Suffolk County 
Um, we transformed that hospital into a tertiary hospital by uh, placing cardiac surgery out there. Suffolk County residents used to travel all the way into Nassau County for their uh, for their cardiac surgery. Um, so, you know, after going through the appropriate state applications, et cetera, um, that service was put in our um, Suffolk County Hospital. When it came down to the staff, we had experienced staff members for that new service, both internally and externally the staff, but they, they never worked together. So we spent 10 to 12 weeks up front with them before the unit even opened uh, with team training. And so the outcomes from that um, new cardiac service program um, are as good as the cardiac service programs that have been in, a, in place for years at Northwell. So CLI and uh, Patient Safety Institute are directly connected to the business imperative. That was a big business imperative. The same with when we um, decided to acquire a medevac for the health system because of the expanding reach. Uh, we did the same thing with all new hires. Individually, they're, they're exceptional uh, clinicians. However, it's all about working as a team because that's what keeps the patient safe. You know, teamwork trumps autonomy in um, both healthcare and aviation. Now, when you're dealing with something that involves this much complexity and this much change, and especially as you mentioned that you're doing acquisitions as well, how do you get the buy-in and the commitment uh, when you take on an initiative like this? Well, I'll tell you, in the early days, um, we just brought in our friends. We brought in early adopters, jumped in, and um, they were quite successful in the beginning. And um, then, you know, the phone started ringing. So we never went out and um, tackled people to pull them into the place. We followed Roger Everett um, in uh, disruptive uh, innovation in terms of it takes time for innovation to take a hold. And, um, you know, you have your pioneers, you have your early uh, adopters, then you have the 80% of folks just watching and seeing if it's safe to jump in. And then you have 10%, and uh, Everett Rogers would call them laggards, where no matter what, they're just not going. So we focused on the early adopters, and eventually the masses came. Um, you know, we never forced anybody to come. And now nationally, when you look, you know, simulation has really become one of the methods for learning. You know, again, we focus very much on team learning in our uh, organization, but that simulation has been well established now. There's plenty of research around it, um, and it's not a hard sell at all. In fact, when you have residents coming out of medical school uh, or medical students becoming residents, when they look for where they want to do their residencies, they look for places that have something like a patient safety institute because that's how they learn now, the simulation. For you, how do you see this evolving over time? Well, um, from when we first began, we, we evolved a lot, particularly around in our simulation center. We used to think it was about the simulator. And then actually we learned it's not about the simulator. It's about the learning methods around the simulator. 
you know, you need a certain amount of stress during those simulations to engage the brain. You need to absolutely, after every simulation, uh, allow the teams to debrief and reflect. That's where learning takes place. Learning really doesn't take place during simulation. Um, always better to see yourself in action so you can self-discover and learn. Uh, you know, the best golfers are usually videoed and they sit back and watch themselves use the same, um, the same method. When it comes to our leadership development and our executive development programs, uh, and actually any program being clinical or not clinical here, we are all case-based. Um, there's plenty of pre-work before you walk in the door um, because we want to see that knowledge in action. We no longer waste time actually you know, sitting people down and lecturing at them because we know through plenty of evidence, um, particularly within the neuroscience of learning, that nobody learns anything from a lecture. That in order to engage them in the brain, they have to be fully immersed in their own learning. So we've got, got we learned um, over, I would say, the first five years of uh, having CLI in place. And then it was all about having the faculty the senior executives or um, the faculty at CLI to really understand the value of case-based learning. Now, do you think that we're in a kind of a unique um, time frame where the technology is pretty advanced and it's getting more and more advanced all the time that enables this type of simulations uh, to occur and to give the rep safe repetitions to people but still create the stress because it is life and death in your uh, in your world, um, do you think that th that that's really helping drive this? Yeah, I think so. You know, technology is driving a lot of change, um, both you know within the uh, on the practice side, and of course we have to reflect what goes on exactly in practice to make sure that you know teams can, can come and practice in a safe environment that it's. You know, we expect you to come here and make mistakes uh, and to learn from them. And even around learning with the new technology out in practice. Uh, about a month ago, our team um, did a, a workshop for a New York City event um, on simulation. And the simulation was about uh, medical devices getting hacked into, for example, uh, pacemaker getting hacked into or IV medication pumps getting packed into. And it's something that someday uh, we might see this, but we also focus on what do we think is coming down the pipe that we have to prepare our teams from for. So that was quite an interesting um, simulation that the team put together and actually demonstrated in front of a large audience in New York City and then a lot of discussion around it. So, you know, technology is key. And even the... Um, virtual reality. So we have been researching and looking at the virtual uh, reality uh, technology for a while. We really, you know, a little bit clunky, et cetera, but um, we have worked with an organization over the past year, and we developed uh, 20 clinical cases. We call it the room of horrors um, because they're all safety traps, and that's <laughs> through virtual reality. <laughs> And um, so we actually are having now some of our customers from the hospitals come and take a look 
and we'll get feedback from them and we'll you know continue to improve it and then we'll actually um, put it in as far as our uh, learning methodology. It's just another way for uh, people to learn. Now you mentioned that uh, the younger doctors that are coming through the program, when they're looking to choose what um, organizations to affiliate themselves with, that this is almost kind of table stakes now, isn't it? Because the young people right. are very comfortable using this advanced technology and the expectations is that you better have it nowadays. So it, it becomes a competitive advantage in recruiting, I would think. Oh, without a doubt. Not only in recruiting, but also, you know, when Northwell is, or other organizations actually approaching Northwell to become part of the system or to become affiliated with the system, you know, having these resources available and uh, strategically focused is a big asset for those that just don't have the resources or the CEO vision to have this. There's a lot going on, and your kind of plate is probably always filled with um, all the different regulations and compliance requests? How do you stay on top of all of that? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, one, uh, we don't want to be responsible for all learning that goes on in the health system. Uh, we focus on the um, team training um, and anything that has to do with safety or human factors errors. So when it comes to... Um, mandatory education, either HR um, picks up uh, some of that, particularly around the uh, mandatory education that all employees need to go through. Ho the hospitals will also focus on uh, mandatory training uh, for their staff. We bring people in to put everything together and um, uh, see how they can critically think through certain cases be it, you know, whether it's in um, uh, one of our high potential programs or whether it's in the simulation center, more around critical thinking, uh, improving team performance, et cetera, et cetera. Now, uh, something that we um, did that actually was mandatory, uh, when Ebola was, you know, on top of the national agenda, we very quickly, um, with other departments in uh, Northwell, put together uh, not only an Ebola curriculum, but also took one of our small hospitals and transformed it into a facility that uh, uh, could accept Ebola patients. And uh, we put together, as far as our uh, learning programs, was a combination of, you know, all employees needed the awareness piece. So. Uh, everybody did the online piece for that. Then there was another group of employees that needed to know a little bit more. Um, and that, of course, would be our frontline, our triage nurses in the emergency department, our ambulatory um, staff, et cetera. And then we had specialized Ebola teams that actually would take care of the patient. And they went through a very comprehensive program that was online. It was in simulation. And it was a level three hazmat suit training. So um, we developed that rather quickly and um, sustained it for uh, quite, a, quite a while in terms of regular training. Now we do it uh, every three months. And that, that was something that, you know, again, we felt it was mandatory. 
Uh, and we brought that up rather quickly just because of the collaboration across the, um, the health systems. Kathleen Stone-Payton here, producer, co-host, and incidentally, Chief Learning Officer here at Business Radio X. Oh. <laughs> uh, I have uh, I have 2.3 constituents and um, mm -hmm. five channel partners, and my head is constantly spinning, trying to keep up with some of the learning needs around here. My hat is absolutely off to you. I cannot imagine how you are able to, to approach providing learning and development for some 66,000 people. Uh, God love you and, and keep up the good work. Oh, thank you. We're 16, 17 years into this, but you know, there's no finish line. Um, you never get there. There is no end, um, particularly with the marketplace changing. You know, Northwell Health uh, is an organization that is at the forefront of change, never behind change. We never wait around for somebody to tell us what to do. Um, it's proactive, adaptable, and innovative. So, um, you know, we try to stay uh, and lead change. And uh, you can only do that with your employees. And our CEO is very focused on uh, employees, employee engagement, making sure they're developed, that they have career paths, and that every individual is just at the, the top of their game. Well, I picked up during the conversation, and you mentioned several times that you uh, obviously have a great deal of respect and think a, a lot of your leadership team and your CEO, but they are certainly blessed to have you. And, and before we wrap, I also wanted to mention the idea that healthcare professionals are getting a chance to practice in a safe environment. I got to tell you, that makes a consumer like me feel really good. <laughs> so I really yeah. appreciate you doing that. Well, I mean, it makes sense to us. And we have visitors here from local, regional, national, and we had the, Nether the Netherlands here two days ago, uh, an international. And, um, you know, one of the questions always comes up with, you know, who pays for all this? Mm, yeah. Um, and actually, we are a corporate shared service the same way finances, the same way human resources is, the same way legal, strategic planning. So we are budgeted as a, um, as a corporate shared service. Uh -huh. You know, there is, yeah, uh, when uh, people come here, they come here. The departments do not have to budget for it. And that was the CEO's. Uh, mental models that there's um, one any barriers for anybody, uh, you know, to come here. What an interesting and obviously very effective model. Listen, before we wrap, I just got to know, uh, with everything you got going on, what do you enjoy the most? What do you find the most rewarding? Yeah, I would say two things. One, being presented with a challenge. Two, being presented with an opportunity to get a team around the table and build something new and three just watching our employees our clinical team our health system you know achieve the goals achieve their goals well kathleen it has been an absolute delight having you on the show thanks so much for joining us until next time this is stone payton for lee Cantor, our good friends at training pros our guest today dr kathleen gallo and everyone here at the business radio x family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights.